Chapter 3. What's love got to do with it? More focus on love, less focus on money. I've only cried once at work, and it wasn't until recently that I really understood why. It happened during my sign-on session as a Harmony executive. I'd been consulting to Harmony part-time for a number of years, and as my involvement increased, the logic for me to become a full-time employee rather than a part-time consultant was compelling. Of course, there were a multitude of benefits to corporate life, share options, pension, medical aid, etc. But those were not what motivated my decision. At the time, Harmony had captivated my attention, and even though I had other clients, they were not what kept me awake at night or what got me up in the mornings. It made sense to align my bank account and my heart. As part of the routine orientation procedure and formal document signing, the HR director made mention of my leave allocation, 21 working days. Cue the waterworks. The very existence of formal leave indicated its counterpoint, corporate ownership of my time and me, which threatened me at the very deepest level, my autonomy. I have always worked wherever and whenever inspiration struck. Creative ideas often come upon me in the middle of the night or in the shower or during Saturday afternoon shopping or at a movie or a show. Ideas are inconvenient like that. I've long slept with a notepad next to my bed to capture those middle-of-the-night insights that I'm afraid will not visit again once the sun is up. The Harmony brand print was one of those midnight visitors. Not being particularly organised, I've lost track of the envelopes, slips and restaurant napkins I've had to scribble on when an idea hit me. Of course, at a rational level, I knew this wouldn't change at Harmony just because my status had. But my outrage at my time now being owned by some other entity was instinctive and real. This little anecdote does have a happy ending. My fear that some kind of dark force would take over my life, prod me into action during working hours and assume my inertia for the rest was unfounded. I joined an executive team who lived by the William McKnight credo, hire good people and leave them alone. Autonomy was never an issue. I was free to design my job, formulate its purpose, which was that every single one of Harmony's 50,000 employees would understand what Harmony stood for, where it was headed, and how they made a contribution to this. Continually try to master it. So when I came across Dan Pink's book, Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, I felt like he had a window to my soul. Not only are its contents intellectually convincing, I found it compelling because I have experienced it, felt it, and lived it. According to Pink, the truth about what motivates us is surprising indeed. It's not money, bonuses, incentives, or actually anything that we see systemically built into the rewards framework of most businesses right now. In fact, our over-dependence on these extrinsic rewards does just one thing. 
it makes us want more extrinsic rewards. So we turn into reward addicts, desperate for our next fix. And like drug addicts, we need more and more to feel good. And then, even just to function. Just like most drugs, extrinsic rewards have side effects. And these side effects are deadly. Not only does the barrage of extrinsic rewards not result in the desired behavior continuing sustainably, our addiction to them corrupts our capability to ever become intrinsically motivated. Love is the answer. As scientists who study motivation know, and business continues to pointedly ignore, Intrinsic motivation, doing something for the sheer joy of doing it, is the pot of gold at the end of the motivation rainbow. It should be no surprise given that the word motivation comes from the Latin word amare, meaning to love. Many of us have managed to avoid this whole messy intrinsic motivation thing simply by relying on extrinsic carrot and stick rewards. It's simpler, easier, neater. But by so doing, we have created a constituency of reward addicts who need more and more just to function. And the bad news is that it's not working. Only three out of 10 workers in the US feel engaged by their jobs. These actively disengaged workers cost the U.S. economy between $450 and $550 billion in lost productivity every year. One has to assume that the local version of these appalling numbers would be even worse. But hope springs. Data from McKinsey shows that when employees are intrinsically motivated, they are 32% more committed to and 46% more satisfied with their jobs, suffer less burnout than other employees do, and perform 16% better. The reality is that intrinsic motivation is the only way forward, and it requires three conditions in order to flourish. Autonomy, when and how I do my job. Mastery, what I am doing and my striving to continually get better at it, and purpose, why am I doing this at all? Autonomy. Interestingly, what Pink describes as autonomy is almost an exact replica of how I experienced it and the threat of it being taken away from me in my Harmony sign-on story. For me, it boils down to freedom, to do what I think I should be doing, when I think I should do it, in the way I think it should be done. This freedom does not extend to lack of consequences. On the contrary, the accountability that comes with it is arguably of the highest order. Because the goals and measures are self-initiated and self-driven, they are likely to be even more onerous than any externally determined ones and much more likely to be achieved because they have been birthed and are owned by the individual. 
Autonomy also applies to teams. Self-directed work teams are predicated on principles of autonomy and teamwork, and when well-designed, work extremely well. The foundational principle of autonomy is allowing others to think for themselves. Some call this empowerment, not the economic kind, but I dislike the term because it sounds like we had the power and now we are giving it away to you, which is patronizing in the extreme. Somehow, we mistakenly link autonomy to higher income or education levels when really nothing could be further from the truth. Think about the autonomy required to solve the myriad of complex problems that face people of a lower socioeconomic status. They can't throw money at problems. They have to be innovative, ingenious, and solve them carefully and thoughtfully. And these are the same people that we treat as incapable of thinking at work. We don't realize that asking people to share their thinking with us is the first step towards autonomy, as well as engagement. That asking a simple question, what do you think, could indeed be a revolutionary act. Mastery and flow. Mastery is the desire to get better and better at something that matters. Mastery and play are the Siamese twins that have an enormous impact on engagement. Hungarian psychologist Mihaly Tzidzeng Mihaly opened up the thinking around mastery when instead of going down the route of the behavioristic carrot and stick or pathological Freudian approaches to human motivation, he sought rather to understand positive, innovative and creative approaches. This led him to study creativity and naturally then play. Play enthralls us, whether it's a crossword puzzle, video game or golf shot. We do it for the sheer joy of doing it. In my tennis playing days, we called this feeling being in the zone, the golden untouchable place where everything seems to just flow. And flow is exactly what Zizeng Mihaly calls it. When we're in flow, goals are clear. Feedback is immediate. We don't need to be managed by other people or have KPIs dangled above us. To see flow in action, watch your kids play. Note how they throw themselves wholeheartedly into a game, how they are fully absorbed and see too the joy the possibility and the dedication on their faces. Flow is great and those moments are important because they keep us going when the going gets tough. Because mastery is tough. It requires hard work and resilience. Our ability to pursue mastery is largely dependent on our mindset. If we believe that through hard work we can progress and achieve what we're aiming for, we are likely to get better and better. The path to mastery, far from being lined with palm trees, is more like 10,000 hours of blood, sweat and tears. And then the kicker. Mastery is an asymptote, meaning that we never quite get there. 
Like a horizon, the there keeps moving. And it's precisely that elusive quality that makes mastery addictive. It's noteworthy how intertwined this concept is with the motivational power of progress, which is discussed later in Chapter 5. So what does this mean for leadership? It means that we need to look for, appreciate, recognize, and most importantly, encourage mastery in the workplace. Mastery that has, most likely, been there all along. The rock drill operator, who's really more like a rock star. The accountant who prides himself on reconciling to the last cent. The presenter who can get an audience to eat out of her hand. The negotiator whose poker face saves the company millions. Masters could be all around if we just start looking. Purpose. Finally, let's talk about purpose, the third requirement for intrinsic motivation, the what matters part of the puzzle. Most of us know the story of the man who asked three bricklayers what they were doing and got three different answers. One, putting one brick on top of another. Two, building a cathedral. Three, glorifying God. We know purpose when we see it, and we may even appreciate how important it is, but we just don't seem to be very good at articulating it. In business, we speak the language of, well, business. We talk profit maximization, cost reduction, efficiency, competitive advantage, value creation, focus, differentiation, maximizing shareholder value, etc. Would any of these words get you out of bed in the morning? No? Me neither. How about something like this? From Apple's 1997 TV ad. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. And while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Or from Martin Luther King's 1963 speech. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged 
by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. Purpose starts with the problem we want to solve, the possibility we want to see realised, the dent we want to make in the universe. And it requires us to speak a different language, not the language of business, but the language of love. There's a reason that Martin Luther King said, I have a dream, rather than I have a KPI. Words, the right words, create worlds, and words that rouse human passion, that break human hearts, or stir human souls, are the words that purpose demands. Ultimately, it comes down to this. What makes people passionate, courageous heroes in one business and hopeless, hapless victims in another? It's not the external stuff, the industry, the salaries, the bonus system. It's the stuff inside each employee that counts. What he or she does and how he or she does it. Why he or she does it and how they feel about doing it. Motivation also known as love, is personal, emotional, and experiential. It doesn't matter whether you're a CA, engineer, actuary, PhD, MBA, artisan, rock drill operator, or procurement clerk. All of us have a professional love story. It's that high point in our working lives, a time where we had the opportunity to decide how and when to apply our skills, autonomy, we're in the zone, mastery, and joined with others to achieve something meaningful, purpose. As leaders, do we want to create workplaces where people are passionate and unstoppable? Are we prepared to go the hard yards, learn the new skills and unlearn some of our old habits? Are we prepared to go to rehab and eradicate our and our employees' addiction to extrinsic rewards? Ultimately, do we back ourselves to lead in a way which unlocks human potential to really lead differently?